Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. I can't believe it. Let's open up that race Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USD has hired Lincoln Riley. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 461, coming to you on Monday, November 14th. It is finally rivalry week. But, of course, we're going to be looking back at USC's blowout win over the Colorado Buffaloes from Friday night. Talk about the Pac-12 uh, landscape and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us uh, on Twitter. I am at MichaelCastFS. Alicia is at Penguin of Troy. You can follow the show at Reign of Troy. Uh, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. Of course, if you're joining us live here on video, we are on YouTube. Uh, be sure to pop in your comments, your thoughts, all of that. Over in the chat, we do appreciate it. Subscribe, like the video, all of that stuff. I'm your host, Michael Castillo, joined along with my co-host, Elisa Deratol. Hello, everybody. Hello. Uh, we are back. It is Rivalry Week, um, but it's I. It's one of those things where it is, but we're not going to talk about UCLA completely just yet. But I mean, there will be a little plenty. bit, a, a, a fair bit of the landscape of the Pac-12, absolutely, which surely has changed after a wild, uh, wild, wild weekend uh, in which if you've been living under a rock, Oregon lost to Washington. Suddenly the, the, the Huskies are alive and well in the Pac-12 championship race. Uh, well, uh, the well part of that um, still, still up for debate, uh, but alive nonetheless. Uh, and then on Saturday night, Pac-12 after dark, a uh, little old guy named Jaden Delara went into the Rose Bowl and beat UCLA and DTR 
Arizona getting their first win over the Bruins uh, at the Rose Bowl in, in a little bit over a decade. Uh, and it's a big win. And just like 2005, the last time, you know, we've been talking about stats all year, that this is the first time that this stat has been the case for USA since 2005, 2005, 2005. Well, here we go. SC and UCLA meeting as uh, they were going to meet as one loss or better teams. Now UCLA is a two loss team, but SC was one game better in the, the standings that year going in because Arizona upset UCLA. And here we go. Going into 2022, SC is going to be one game better uh, than UCLA going into the game because UCLA lost to Arizona a week before. Um, the uh, USC-UCLA rivalry game at the Rose Bowl coming up on Saturday night, which will be at 5 p.m. on Big Fox, including Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt. It's the number one, number one team, the big noon team coming for uh, Big Five. Look at that. Yeah, but not Big Noon kickoff because they their, their morning – show is attached only to their noon game yeah instead of going to the biggest game of the week they're going to be off somewhere else but yeah this was uh you know college game day is going to be heading to uh, bozeman montana now mm-hmm. instead of los angeles because of what happened on saturday and it was madness yeah yeah madness <laughs> indeed uh but here we are welcome to uh the live the live chat if you're joining us here live on youtube uh, we appreciate you guys as always. Big shout out to everybody in there. We got Cameron, uh, Josh, uh, Tim, Randy, uh, Cemetery is in there. Everybody's in. And uh, we're going to talk about more USC uh, and so much more here on this episode. As always, uh, remember to, to leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts. We'll help grow the show. Um, and we will read it live on the air. And as well, subscribe and like the video uh ram Murdy's back uh in in the chat as well so uh welcome everybody let's get into the news and waste no time because there is a fair bit of it we gotta start with the polls alicia usc is now up to number six in the coaches poll number seven uh, according to the AP poll, uh, a big shakeup after the big shakeup that was Saturday. Utah is now uh, the second-ranked Pac-12 team, number 10 in the AP. The Ducks, after losing to Washington at home in Eugene, fall number 12. Washington, after getting that big win, is up to 15. UCLA, 16. Uh, Notre Dame, your alma mater, now up to 18 after another win over Navy. Oregon State back in the top 25, which means... As it stands right now, USC has a win over a currently ranked AP poll team. Look at that. Yeah. Look at us. <laughs> it's number 25 Oregon State, but it's somebody. So yeah, it'll well, start somewhere. Well, it, it's actually set up kind of nicely for, uh, for Oregon because I think that that game against Oregon State um, is going to be very, very difficult for them. Uh, because I have a lot of respect for Oregon State as a team. They're not a consistent team. They're not a great team, but they're they're deserving of being a top 25 team. I, th- I think on the whole of what we've seen from Oregon State, they're a top 25 team. I think on the whole of what we've seen from like Washington State, they're like a top 30 team. So it's good to see at least one of them getting a uh, getting a, a 
recognition there in the polls. Yeah. Uh, as for USC, it's all just biding time for this UCLA game and the Notre Dame game next week. Uh, I think where USC is, whether it's seven or six, is the right spot for USC until they beat the teams that they need to beat. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have the opportunity to rise over the next couple of weeks because they're going to have UCLA and Notre Dame and, in theory, a, a third game uh, in this stretch that will be able to show the voters that they are worthy of being taken more seriously than being number six. Uh, there will also be games in there between Ohio State and Michigan that will shake up that that top uh, top picture. So USD is where they need to be. USC needs to go out and win games. Yeah, 100%. Uh, that's how it has to be uh, for all of these teams, really, if they want to get to the Pac-12 championship game. You can get in with some help, uh, but the help doesn't really uh, – n- not what you want to bank on. Um, let's talk about the Pac-12 championship game. Everything sort of got sh- shooken up, shaken up. Uh, but that's, a, that's an understatement. But good for USC in the sense that the Trojans now outright control their own destiny. Oregon losing uh, and UCLA losing makes it a little bit more straightforward. Uh, Now it's very simple. You win on Saturday at the Rose Bowl. You are going to Vegas. Bar none. That's it. Very simple for USC. The difference is there's still some crazy variants in which SC could lose on Saturday uh, and still get into the Pac-12 championship game. You and I, Alicia, stayed up late Sunday night trying to figure out all the different scenarios, uh, which we didn't. We didn't get all of the scenarios. <laughs> we tried to come up with a collection of scenarios that made sense to us. Yeah. And that were sort of building off of each other. And so I'm sure we missed some scenarios. Yeah. I'm sure there, I mean, there might even be um, complications here because you and I both looked at the tiebreaker rules for multi-team ties uh, in in these scenarios, and they're not the clearest, I think. I think there are multiple ways to interpret the order in which you do things, how you reset depending on who is involved or who isn't involved, all of those things. So don't take our scenarios necessarily as gospel because for all we know, the Pac-12 could come out and have and and say, no, actually – this is how you interpret those rules. They haven't really laid that out. Um, I've seen others in the in the LA media sphere enduring the same problem uh, of trying to figure these things out. It's all very complicated, so everyone's yeah. just doing the best that they can. But uh, I think we've come up with a pretty comprehensive look at what triggers what outcome. Yeah, uh, as far as we could get it. So to go over why there is confusion, so almost any scenario that that happens based over the next couple of weeks, like the games that we try to factor in is what happens between SC and UCLA, what happens between Utah, Oregon, Colorado, Washington, UCLA, Cal, Oregon, Oregon State, Utah, Colorado, and the Apple Cup, Washington, Washington State, because. Those five teams, SC, UCLA, Utah, Oregon, and Washington, are all still alive, technically. Yes. And the crazy part is there's two ways, at least that we have found so far, in which there can be a five-way tie. One of them 
honest to God, is incredibly realistic. It's insane how not of a... One of them requires at least one game that is a full-on stretch. Which is Colorado winning which anything. Is Colorado, yes. Yeah, Colorado beating Utah. But the other one is astoundingly realistic to me. Yes. Like, I mean... Yeah. It, I, I if you had sat me down to pick the games that are remaining in the Pac-12, there is a not 0% chance that I would have come to that conclusion <laughs> in a totally earnest way. Yes. So <laughs> b- before we get into what the scenarios are, uh, I, I want to r- explain why it, it's all confusing because the way multiple team ties reads according to the Pac-12 says in the event of a tie between more than one more than two teams the following procedures will be used after one team has an advantage and is seeded. All remaining teams in the multiple team tiebreaker will repeat the multiple team tiebreaking procedure. If at any point it's reduced to two teams, the two team tie uh, breaking procedure will be applied, which is basically head to head, etc. So then there's a list. It starts by head to head, winning percentage against common opponents record against the next highest place common opponent, etc. But where there is slight confusion is like when you have five teams and you narrow it down to four, well, then do you start over again with the four? Do you like it gets slightly confusing? Uh, I don't think that's where it, where, the way it works because it says that you start over when a team is seated, which means you work all the way down to having one team and then you have two through five in that sense and you start completely over from the beginning that's our interpretation of how that reads yeah so take that for what it's worth but here we go again sc is in if they beat ucla straight up that's, that's the, the easiest scenario this is the, the the thing that usc fans should be grateful for is i think ucla and uh washington and a few of these other teams have to do a lot of like well blah 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 usc just needs to win Yes. Uh, a universe where win USC one wins yeah. is a universe where USC is in the Pac-12 title game. Not everyone else can say that. Yes. And it doesn't mean that SC is the number one seed. Uh, it just means that they are in. Now, what happens if SC loses? Uh, as we can see, there's two ways that they can get in. One of those ways is the five-way tie. Uh, mind you, this is the five-way tie that is probably the least likely because both of the ways that we have figured out um, or we are understanding at least that SC gets in involves Colorado beating Utah. Do you think Colorado is going to beat Utah? If the answer is no, then just take this with then, a massive grain of salt because you know the odds are there. But the uh, first way SC can get in with the five-way tie is if SC loses to UCLA, Utah beats Oregon, Washington wins out, which means beating Colorado and winning the Apple Cup over Washington State. UCLA, of course, wins out. They beat uh, Cal after beating SC. Then uh, you've got Oregon uh, winning the no longer called the Civil War over Oregon State. Uh, You've got Colorado beating Utah and Washington, of course, winning winning the Apple Cup. All that goes down. You've got a five-way tie. Five teams, seven and two. Five teams ranked seven and two in the conference, which is insane. And so the way that breaks down the reason that SC ends up getting in 
Um, it all comes down to common opponents and, and all of that. Oregon ends up getting in because uh, the ASU game is not factored in in a lot of these ways, and, and that helps them and hurts uh, Washington. Um, SC gets in because – or UCLA gets, gets ends up getting eliminated on a lot of the common opponents thing because of Arizona. Arizona is one of the three common opponents between all five teams. Their loss there certainly hurts them. Uh, the flip side for the Bruins is they have head-to-heads in a lot of these scenarios over almost everybody but Oregon. So The problem for UCLA is that the head-to-heads only factor in in the multi-team tiebreaker if every team involved in the tiebreaker has played every team involved in the tiebreaker, Right. which is UCLA's problem because most of the time that's not the case because USC didn't play Washington or Oregon. Right. And if you look at common opponents, the only common opponents are Colorado, Stanford, and Arizona. And UCLA lost And to UCLA is the only one that lost to those to one of those teams. So it just right. it's all very UCLA is like in the best position while also in these very niche scenarios in the worst position because their loss is to Arizona as opposed to USC whose loss is to Utah or, or Oregon whose loss is to Washington, who, you know, the other teams that are involved in the tiebreaker. Yeah. And, and now that, it, now that I'm looking at all these different scenarios, we never factored in what happens if UCLA loses to Cal. But um, so we probably need to go back to the drawing board. Yeah, but again, finish finish off that side of things. But still, there's just so many games and so many different possibilities. There's going to end up being like hundreds of scenarios. Yes. And this is why I think the takeaway we have from our, this is two hours of of figuring this out. And we didn't get to scenarios where UCLA lost to Cal. So there's that. Um, The takeaway from a USC perspective is this. Number one. Beat UCLA and you're in. It is really yes. that simple. Number two, losing to UCLA is not an eliminator. It is probably an eliminator, but yeah. it is not an eliminator. To, and that is the uh, the the crux of the matter. To, to go back to us now realizing that we forgot the the what if UCLA loses the Cal angle. Um, if UCLA loses to Cal, then SC doesn't have to worry about UCLA anymore. So Which SC doesn't we, lose a tiebreaker to anybody but UCLA and Utah. Right. And but, yeah, it, then it comes down to who won between Oregon and Utah. And then it's like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, the, the other thing, I, I'm sure all of this is confusing. We, yeah. We're we, sorry. We, we're rambling all over the we're place. Confused too. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention is the five way tie that we said seems probable or like very likely um, in the sense that none of these is an unrealistic result. If UCLA beats SC, Oregon beats Utah, Washington beats Colorado, UCLA beats Cal, Oregon State beats Oregon, Utah beats Colorado, and Washington beats Washington State, which all of those are favorites, by the way, with the exception of Oregon State beating Oregon. You need one upset. And and that one upset is a home team? Yeah. In a rivalry game, so like, if all that happens, it ends up being the five-way tie where it ends up as Oregon and Utah being the ones in, uh, USA and UCLA and the ones on the outside. 
uh, looking out of that. Um, now, mind you, SC, if SC wins, SC goes to the Pac-12 championship game, who are they going to play? Again, it all factors into who uh, who does what against what. Uh, if Oregon wins out and SC wins, it's going to be Oregon. If Utah wins out uh, and SC wins, it's going to be Utah. Uh, there's a slight chance that it's Washington. Uh, but again, you got to factor in things like Colorado winning a game yeah. uh, for, for that thing to 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 come in there. Um, as we, as we stood, um, there was only one scenario in which we found out that SC could play UCLA again. Uh, that is if SC loses on Saturday, uh, and then Colorado, of course, beats Utah, uh, and Utah. Oregon loses out. Yeah. So UCLA beats USC, Utah beats Oregon, Washington wins out, UCLA wins out, Oregon State beats Oregon and Colorado pulls off the upset of the century by beating Utah. Then you get UCLA is the number one seed in the Pac-12 and USC is the number two seed in the Pac-12 as part of a yeah. four-way tie. They're the only the the it's, yeah, it's so it's wild. But again, we go back to the only scenario here that matters for USC is beat UCLA because then it's just a question of. Will you see Oregon? Will you see Utah? The the more I look at it, the more I prefer the outcome where USC gets Utah again. Um, because Oregon lost to Washington, they no longer carry the top 10 cachet that they would have before, potentially even top five cachet if you got to that point with them. So to me, avenging the loss to Utah becomes the uh, the the game that I want to see. From let, USC. Let me push back on that thought. Okay. You say that now. That's yes, if Oregon if, if Utah beats Oregon on Saturday. I think that the way the way things are, um, if if Oregon wins out, I think they're gonna be right there back in the, the fringe of the top ten, anyways. Um, like I don't think it's but gonna really matter that much. If Utah wins out. They will have a win over Oregon. Yes. And they could Utah is the highest ranked team outside of USC in the Pac-12 right now. So right. theoretically, Utah beating Oregon is go going to move them up further than Oregon beating I, Utah. I don't I just, know. I it think doesn't... I think it's just hair splitting. I just want point. the Utah rematch. I just I think it would be fitting narratively for this season for USC to get the Utah rematch and to overcome those uh, th those hurdles and 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 sort of have the opportunity to, to right the wrongs of, of that night in Salt Lake City. Yeah, I, I it would be a hell of a game. Yeah, 100%. I think all of these would be a crazy game uh, in a weird way. I think SC is – I keep going back and forth. Like, is Washington the worst matchup potentially because of – Michael Penix, I, I I don't know. Uh, SC is probably very fortunate that there's, uh, you know, a, a one in a million chance that they end up playing Washington in the Pac-12 championship game. I think but I think if you're talking pure matchups, I I do think Oregon is still the worst. Matchup. Probably Oregon yeah. has the best defense of that group. Um, Bo Nix is Bo Nix, but like we've seen him be very very effective. This is assuming that Bo Nix is not injured. His status for uh, the game against Utah is in doubt now, is in question because of the injury he had yeah. at the end of the Washington game. So, like, that's a question. But I think that Oregon 
has way more talent on defense than the other teams in the Pac-12. And I think that that is probably the thing that USC doesn't necessarily want to see. Yeah, for sure. Especially with playmakers that Utah, that Oregon has, uh, the offense that Oregon has would be a problem for USC's defense as well. Eric says, uh, but a Pac-12 championship game against Oregon is the only matchup that gets his na- national recognition. I I see why. I, I see why that that's the that's the argument. Given that Oregon is the biggest name brand outside of SC in the conference right now, um, and has been this year, the difference for me is like I I really just don't think it it. I think the com- the committee um, sees all these teams so close that whoever ends up getting through to that Pac-12 championship game is going to be on the level that is basically close enough to being what SC is, that it's going to be a big enough win no matter what. Yeah. I also, that if SC doesn't get in, it's because they didn't get the help. It's not yeah. because they didn't do their job by winning those three games in succession. Yeah. The only way that that Pac-12 title game win isn't a, a plus for uh, – isn't the thing that puts USC over the top for the playoff is if Utah loses to Colorado or something like if everybody loses and it's USC in first place it's, and it's st- SC is still a one loss power five champion. No, no, no. But that, like if USC is a one loss power five champion and like the Pac-12 title game is against a three loss team, then you get into conversation about, well, maybe T- maybe Tennessee, maybe a one, maybe a two loss Tennessee uh, or a one loss Georgia if they lose to to uh, no one loss Tennessee who didn't play in the SEC title game. All of these scenarios are crazy. I don't know. It's 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 too much. It's too much. Straight up, um, I don't I don't see those things happening. Uh, but I think that uh, narratively, when you if you play Oregon and you don't beat Oregon 49 to three, then you're going to just get like compared to what Georgia did to I, Oregon. I, I don't think that's I the case I think if either. you beat, if you beat Utah, you're avenging a one point loss I, on, I, at a neutral site. I, I think we can, we can look at a game against Oregon and not just say it has to be 49 to three because that's what Georgia did in week one. Like yeah. I, I don't think it's that black and white, um, but uh, the the problem with the, with the playoff right now is that it's a difficult landscape just because it is because too much hasn't happened. Th- there's yeah, there's a lot to unfold, and there's the very real possibility that there's two eleven and one division losers um, hanging around, and one of those teams made the playoff before we saw with with Alabama a couple years ago, um, and. If that happens again, um, SC's if they win out or whoever the Pac-12 champion is that wins out is probably not going to be in a good place to to get in. So I don't know. We'll we'll see how that goes uh, going forward. Um, more on the Pac-12 title scenarios, of course, later in the week and then next week uh, once we know whatever happened uh, in the SC UCLA game Saturday night over at the Rose Bowl. Um, let's talk about SC and Colorado. The Trojans, of course, gain the 55-17 win. Um, I, I want to look back at the game. At least it's been a couple of uh, a couple of days. It's been since Friday night. We've had the whole weekend to sort of look back on it. Think about the, the Travis Dye injury. Think about SC's performance. Think about all of that. Any any new thoughts as you uh, look back? I think my big takeaway is just that um, 
USC did what they needed to do in this game. Yeah. They got the the 50, 50 plus win. Um, I thought the defense performed well against the Colorado offense that didn't have much going for it anyways, and they did their job. Um, my concern is that USC cannot afford a first quarter level of play in the next three weeks, theoretically two weeks, but uh, potentially three weeks. You can't come out looking as shaky as USC's offense did in the first quarter yeah. against UCLA. You can't do it against Notre Dame. And if you make it, you can't do it in the Pac-12 title game um, because you need to have your offense set the tone in these games. And while it's nice to have your defense be able to set the tone in a game uh, against like Colorado or, or Oregon State, those are not offenses that were going to make USC pay to the degree that UCLA could, even Notre Dame could, and a Pac-12 title opponent could. So for me, it's about the offense coming out, fired up, firing, and ready to play. And I will pass off that first quarter straight up as, number one, underestimating Colorado, number two, looking ahead to UCLA, and number three, just sort of like little miscues that will happen. And when they gather up all in the same, you know, five minutes, they they feel a lot worse than than they are as an individual moment. Um, so I did see like Brendan Rice tweeted that he has not played to the level that he expects of himself and he's, you know, fired up to to raise his level. Like that is the message that you want to see from Brendan Rice coming out of that first quarter. And, you know, I've seen people credit Brendan Rice for coming back and making the plays that he did later on, because Absolutely. as a receiver, yeah. you have to be able to have a short memory. You have to be mm -hmm. able to, to brush off your mistakes. And we saw that from him. Um, Caleb Williams is the same way. You got to be able to brush off those mistakes and, and get things going. So you take what happened in the Colorado game and you move it forward to the UCLA, UCLA game. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, I think it's really important that we saw as much of Corey Foreman in this game as we did. Corey Foreman is potentially the game changer that USC needs against UCLA. What we saw from him early in the game against Colorado is exactly what he was recruited to do. It's exactly the kind of plays that USC needs someone other than Tulu Tupelo to, to go out and make. My big concern is across the board we have seen USC's pass rush be very effective against quarterbacks who can't get away from them and be very neutralized by quarterbacks who can simply step up into the pocket and take advantage of the fact that they are an overly aggressive pass rush. And DTR is that. And JT Shrout is not. And that is really the question that I have for the defense coming out of this game. We saw them respond. We saw them play well. We saw guys who need to step up, step up. Um, it's a whole other level that you are messing with when it comes to UCLA and DTR. And just like watching watching even Arizona play uh, UCLA's defense, uh, UCLA's offense, and Arizona's defense is not very good, and they did a really good job of, of unsettling UCLA's offense, but you have to be able to tackle well. You have to pursue well. You have to keep guys in front of you. And I think that uh, what we saw against Colorado was a step in the right direction, but they still have a lot to prove about being able to tackle, pursue, and keep guys in front of them. 
against the level of athletes that they're going to see against UCLA because Colorado just doesn't bring anything similar to the table. So it's harder to read anything out of the defensive performance. Yeah. I would hope that the offensive performance in the first quarter is a cautionary tale that USC takes very seriously when preparing for UCLA. Yeah, my my rebuttal to all of that is if you're going to have a bad quarter, have it in the first quarter. Against Colorado. (laughs) Against Colorado, yes. Like, yeah, I agree. You cannot repeat that first quarter in the next three weeks Um, at the same point. You can't have a quarter like that. Against any, at any point of, I think it's more, it's not necessarily that it was a forced quarter. I do think USC needs to get out to a quick start, but you can't have a quarter that is that bad, whether yeah. it's first, second, third or fourth. No. Yeah, for, for sure. hundred uh, percent. For me though, the problem with the three game stretch, we were talking about the first six games and the next three games. Uh, we had talked about that all last week and all that. The problem with the last three games was that SC got worse as the game went on, Mm -hmm. particularly on defense. Uh, And that was not the case with the first six games because the first six games, SC was holding teams to like six points uh, in the second half per game. Um, And that was surely not the case against Utah, Arizona, or or Cal. Um, And against Colorado, Colorado scores 14 points in, in the second half. I don't think that's a major issue. Um, it, it was it was a blowout. There was garbage time in the fourth quarter, whatever. But I think we saw SC get better as the game went on, which I think is the important thing there. Secondly, uh, there's a tweet from, from Shotgun over at usfootball.com. USC had two missed tackles as a team against Colorado, according to Pro Football Focus's initial grading. Which is significantly And the better. Trojans had at average 16.3 in the previous three games. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you that like you, you you're hesitant to take away big picture things um, against Colorado, have... but I think that is a, is a prime example of at least doing what you're supposed to do and improving on what you haven't done before. Colorado doesn't have a lot of talent on offense, but Colorado's offense and Cal's offense in terms of talent not worlds different. That's fair. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, JT Shroud was is pr- pretty bad. Yeah. Pretty bad. But um, Alex Fontenot has been at Colorado for like nine years, right? Yeah. <laughs> Feels like it. Um, he's been part of some good Colorado offenses. Uh, certainly this one is not a good one, but uh, still, SC was was able to, to make the tackles. And when you're struggling with the little things, Getting the little things right, even against a bad opponent, I think is a way to feel good about things going forward. It's also about confidence. Yeah, Playing exactly. defense is it, there's there is something to confidence and swagger mm-hmm. on defense, and when your confidence is shattered the way that it looked like USC's defense was, yeah, uh, yeah, a game against Colorado can reset the clock for you. Yeah. the The other thing um, in the preview, I talked about that this week would be about seeing how SC measures up against UCLA and Oregon and sort of using some comparative scores. Well, Oregon beat Colorado 49-10. to UCLA beat Colorado 45-17. SC scores more points than those two with 55, holds Colorado to 17. UCLA held them to 17. Colorado held them to 10. All of those scores in the same ballpark. That's all that matters for me. Um, those scores all look the same. They're all lopsided. 
yes, SC beat Colorado by 10 more points than UCLA, but it's a blowout nonetheless. It's a blowout, whatever. Um, the interesting thing is thing, looking at yards per play, and SC held Colorado to, uh, what was it, 4.6 yards per play. Um, which was much lower than what Oregon did. Oregon held them to 5.24 yards per play. Um, the Bruins held Colorado to 4.07, so SC didn't held, hold them that low, but still 4.6. When you're looking at what SC had done against Cal and Arizona and Utah the weeks before, I get that it's not an opponent that's on the same level, but still considerably better. Those are the things that you at least – are showing that you're taking care of business against an opponent that you should be taking care of business for. Um, the other thing you talked about the first quarter, how about the first quarter was SC only gains eight yards, eight yards on 12 plays. It's a horrendous offensive um, quarter. I know you can't take that quarter out. You cannot do that. But if you did, SC would have averaged 8.43 yards per play, uh, which is, a full yard more than Oregon did against Colorado, and it's slightly better than what UCLA did. They were at 8.17. All told in the game, SC averaged 7.2, which is right where Oregon was. Um, so all told, SC did what they had to do. They took care, of Col- took care of business against Colorado at least just as well as UCLA and Oregon did. I think that stamp of approval... The other thing we talked about was win, look as good as UCLA and Oregon, and then the third one was stay healthy. And, of course, that's where SC gets the big red mark. And not that you can control these things. You can't control injuries, right? Like, um, And I'm not going to say that they, Travis Dye shouldn't have been in there because that's a ridiculous claim. Like, It was a routine tackle. It, it, it was this just... could have happened at any moment. Yeah. This could have happened in practice. But. Travis Dye going down is a major loss for the Trojans, especially when SC, by a lot of the metrics, are one of the elite rushing teams in the country uh, in terms of per-play basis. Um, the number one team in, in opportunity rate, uh, that is going to bode well going forward, but Travis Dye was a big part of that. And I know Austin Jones is there, and I know Relique Brown looked really good on Friday night, but it would be even better if Travis Dye was still part of it. So um, that's going to be a big loss for SC to, to overcome, not having him there for the remainder of the season, his college career, of course, done. The interesting thing is, is this the motivational factor to rally SC to go forward? It could Intangibles be. are hard to, to measure. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that you, you like to hope that that's the case. Um, but you never know. Um, I always thought that, you know, Ronald Jones wearing the number four for, for Joe McKnight in the Rose Bowl was going to mean that he was going to rush for 200 yards. He didn't. So, nope. you know what I mean? Like, you never can predict <laughs> these emotional things. No, you, you really can't. Um, I think that what you look at is that Travis Dye was it, it was an emotional leader for the team, and that doesn't go away. We've seen his leadership be an important part of reminding USC that, you know, uh, what it takes to win. And so that doesn't go away. Um, Austin Jones is a very capable running back. Relique Brown is a very exciting talent. 
And, uh, you know, Darwin Barlow, I think you and I both agree, while he might not be on the the level of a Travis Dye, he's a capable running back, too. Um, it, this isn't the end of the world. The, the depth at the, at the running back position in terms of rushers, obviously you want Travis Dye, but you can survive without him in terms of, of the rushing attack. So to me, it's about whether or not USC responds to the messaging that Travis Dye is putting out. Um, if maybe Travis Dye is the rallying cry around the preparation this week, like, you know, is motivating his teammates to, to be as ready as possible for, uh, for the, the, the UCLA game, understanding how important it is, all of that. That's where I want to see the factor come in, uh, that, that, uh, that die motivation, as uh, as Josh says in the chat, it's not necessarily about playing for die. It's about responding to die's example, responding to his energy and his leadership and the example that he sets to to the team. Yeah, for sure. We'll we'll see how that goes uh, on Saturday against the Bruins. But before we wrap up discussion on Colorado. Let's go over the over-under. I'm super excited about we this We have one. to, though. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Uh, I think we can skip it. Do it. Alicia, you know the only good thing about football season being over? There's literally nothing good about the football season being over. It's just an endless wait until the fall. See, that's where you're wrong. It's tournament season. The best way to take your mind off the endless wait. That is true. I may not want to watch the men play, but the USC women are pretty awesome. Exactly, but it's not just SC. There's high-stake basketball moments all over the country. But you know what? They get even better with prize picks. So you're saying the only thing better than watching Juju Watkins is taking the more on Juju Watkins. Bingo! You can now turn your hoops knowledge and love of Juju Watkins into serious cash. Because you can now win up to 100 times your money on prize picks with as little as four correct picks. Turn 10 bucks into a thousand bucks with college basketball, NBA, and NHL entries. Best of all, Price Picks lets you get on the action on more than 30 states across the country, including Texas, Georgia, and California. That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, download the app today and use the code Rain of Troy for a first deposit match up to $100. That's the Price Picks app with the code Rain of Troy for the first deposit match of up to $100. Pick more. Pick less. It's that easy. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. 
Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. Alicia, we came into the week. I had a two-game lead on you. 33 over-under wins. You had 31. Your first over-under was 411 and a half passing yards for Caleb Williams. I don't know why you put the, the, the line that high, but you did. It was setting season highs. I clearly should have gone back, back to the drawing board, kid. Yeah. <laughs> 411 and a half. Uh, I took the under, of course, obviously. Uh, at least it was under, obviously. <laughs> Uh, 268 yards for Caleb Williams, not just because of the bad first quarter, but because no one is, none of the, the elite quarterbacks were going to be th- throwing that many yards uh, on Colorado. We talked about it before. If Caleb Williams had to throw 400 yards, that would be a bad thing. DTR threw for 234, Bo Nix for 274, um, Caleb Williams 268. So again, right in the mix of what's expected against Colorado. So there we go. Uh, one over under win for me uh, to start off. My first over under pick was over under 8.17 yards per play for the Trojans. Of course, that was what UCLA had done against Colorado. You took the over. Thank God for that first quarter because it was under. It was 7.2 for the whole game. That This one hurts me. <laughs> this one hurts because an eight-yard first quarter – was yeah. not on my play sheet. Like that wasn't what I was what were you choosing here. I was thinking that USC would have a bunch of explosive plays and they did. I just didn't count on an eight yard first quarter. It's it's not fair. Nope. I'm I'm mm-hmm. big mad. Do, do we want to get to your next? You, you no, no, right. I don't. I just skip all of them, please. All right. Your, your next over under was uh over under 149 and a half yards for Travis Dye. See, I thought that went the, out. I thought this was the game where Travis Dye could just rip off an 80-yard run, and that's like where it would come from. And then, and then, and then he wasn't getting. Happened. He he could have been completely healthy. He wasn't getting 149 yards in this game. Um, it was the uh, under which I took. Uh, he had. Nine carries for 26 yards. Statistically, it was like not one of his good games at no. all. No. Well, because the first quarter, USC, well, actually the first half, USC couldn't run the ball at all. They were getting stuffed. Yeah. That's the concerning bit. Yeah. Uh, they definitely were able to run the ball rather well in the second half, but uh, that was without Travis Dye. Uh, so that's three straight you've gotten wrong to start. Uh, number four, we, we go with uh, my second over under. Over under 5.24 yards per play for Colorado. Again, this is what Oregon had held Colorado to. You took the over. I took the under. It was under 4.6. Just next. All right. We can go to the next one. <laughs> you said over under 118 and a half receiving yards for Taj Washington. Ooh, that's a. High line. I, of course, took the under on that. Uh, it was under. He had 66 on two catches. 
And again, I was thinking he would have like four or five catches and that a couple of them would be nice ones that he broke long, like the one that he did break long. But no, it had to be the Brendan Rice show. So. <sighs> yeah, uh, technically, um, SC's leading receiver in terms of yards was uh, Kyle Ford. Hmm. But uh, targets, yes, it was Brendan Rice. Yeah. Uh, last one. Uh, we can skip this one. No, which... no. Let's linger on this one. Let's do it. All right. Um, last one. Uh, I said over under 55.6 third down conversion rate for USC. Trojans coming in. We're fourth in the country, and Colorado was dead last defensively. You took the over at 55.6%. I took the under, or get locked into the under, of course, um, and it was over. SC was 8 of 12, which is two-thirds, 66.7%. According to the math, uh, so that gives you an over/under win there. So you go one and five this week. I go five and one for the season. I have now completely blown it open. I'm at thirty-eight and thirty-two. You at thirty-two and thirty-eight. I mean, I, 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 I got one. I'll, you, I'll take the one. I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. Yeah, you love to see it. <sighs> All right, big winners for the Rotbots. Big ups to two. Two perfect scores this week. Uh, big shout out to Tat Freak and Big Poppy Fifty Five. Both of you guys went a perfect six and zero. Oh. Impressed. Well done. Uh, there were a ton of people, including me, of course, uh, who went five and one. Uh, let's go to the season leaders. Here's the top ten. A little bit of a shakeup, but still everybody holding steady. Number 10, tied for ninth, so nine and 10, uh, at, with uh, 42 over under wins uh, is LA Fred and Stephen Shad. Tied for fifth. There's a four way tie for fifth between uh, Kelly Cat, G Young 08, Jay Bandy, and Randy from Redlands with 43. Tied for second is a three way tie between. Carrie from Chicago, Moose Pants, and Ocean Beach Trojans with 44. Uh, and then with a buffer, an extra game buffer, with 46 over under wins uh, in first place, of course, still Ryan from Arizona. You go, Ryan. He's checking away. He's, he's got it. Let's get to game predictions. Of course, Bill Collins metrics had SC with a 98% win probability. Uh, Vegas had the Trojans as 34-point favorites. SC wins 55-17 to cover. Alicia, you said it would be 49-20. I said it would be 47-17. Nearly, sort of, almost had a chance. Didn't get it. 45-17, the final score. Yeah, I, I, I debated giving USC more than 50 points. And ultimately decided against it, and they proved me wrong on that one. They they got that the 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 second half. I just I really liked the way that the the second team unit moved the ball. Yeah, and I thought that um, there have been accusations about you know running up the score and all that kind of stuff. To me, I always ascribe to the idea of if you can't stop the backups, then that's a you problem. I don't don't think there's anything egregious in this game. Especially when the way that USC was was running plays was not... I mean, Miller Moss's passes were all little little dump-off screens. 
uh, that were essentially just extended handoffs and there were a lot of handoffs. And when you lost your starting running back in this game, yeah, I wanted to see Darwin Barlow get as many carries as possible to, uh, to get him up to speed. So, um, I think your twos and threes are allowed a chance to try to score in the final couple minutes, which they did in this game, especially when, if you're Mike Sanford, you want to get every rep you can out of building those guys up on, on, on defense for Colorado. And you accept the challenge there. I, I, there was, there was nothing crazy about running up the score here for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess I see could have taken knees with two minutes to go, but. That's wasted. I mean, and this is, this is my guys, they needed reps. That's wasted reps to me. Yeah. Like I, I never say you should, you should, you know, to, unless you're taking the knee because you're running out the clock because you could lose the game if you don't have anything but just the clock running. I would never take knees. I would always use those reps with uh, with guys uh, available. Yeah. All right. Let's get into the mailbag. You've got mail. Got a bunch of questions here that we've been starring up over on the old uh, YouTube to, to go through. But I did want to start with an email we got from Shane. Hi, Rod. During the car cast, there was mention of poor attendance for the Colorado game. And I'd like to share my experience I held season tickets from 2001 to 2018, and each year the fan experience got worse from an access standpoint. By 2013, if you didn't donate a hefty amount to the university, you were basically forced to arrive at 4 a.m. to line up for a few of the general parking lots or risk parking in someone's front yard, and that ain't fun. Also, at some point they began moving our seats around. We had aisle seats for a decade, and all of a sudden we got moved to a worse section, the university priced out the average fan and caters to the big donors who often don't even go to the games. It's hard if you can't afford to donate. Shane from Pacoima. I see no lies there. Yeah. Um, I think that that is the the nature of, of college football. And I don't necessarily think that USC is doing anything, um, anything that everyone else in, in college football isn't doing or in sports in general isn't doing. But yeah, it's hard to complain about attendance when it's so expensive, not just to get a ticket, but to get parking, mm-hmm. to get food, uh, to, to, to you know, you're giving a day. If you're tailgating, it's three times as expensive to have the equipment to tailgate, the food, the alcohol, the everything. Um, yeah. It's a very costly thing to do. And so I don't um, I don't fault people for not going to games if it if it's not within their means absolutely and and I think that um, there is a sense that it it's harder and harder and harder to encourage people to attend games especially when season tickets are expensive yeah and getting a one off ticket like if you have season tickets, that's just part of your plan. You're just going to, you're just going to, you know, go to every game. But if you don't like making the decision to get a one-off ticket because it's cheaper that day, like there could be other a million things that a reason why that you wouldn't go. Um, and a million other reasons why it would be difficult for you to get there and, and figure things out. So I don't know, like this is, this is the reality, especially too, when you have people like my dad, Huge USC fan. Huge. It's, you know, it's number one sports fandom for my dad. He prefers to watch at home on the TV. He thinks he can right. see it better. 
well, it's a more comfortable experience for him. The, so, you know, th that's I, just like the reality of, of stadiums are competing with the, the amenities that one has at yes. home. And yeah. it's hard sometimes. I, I would say your dad wouldn't factor in this though, because he wasn't going to games before. So. No, no, but he wouldn't have picked up the, um, the desire to go. I think, I think in the last two decades, it's a, it's a different landscape for sure. And I think yeah. the, the other thing is the problems that SC are having is not unique to them. No, for sure. And like, as much, like I look back at the 2012 season, SC sold out had 93,000 for Hawaii. So like the, there's absolutely part of me. That's like, well, if you sold out for Hawaii because you were happy that SC was number one, why couldn't there be a sellout for the first game in the Lincoln Riley era? At the same time, I I totally get you have the to build that about. back. Like yeah. you have to you have to get right. the fans no, back. I, I get this. Both and things, also both things can exist, right? Like, it's the same problem with uh, like lockouts and stuff like that. Is yes. that you run the risk of people figuring out that they can do other things. Right. So once you stop going to games, you've lost that rhythm of going to games. You have to win back those people. Yeah, and then the other thing is, I I think the people like um, the the ticket office and whatnot would tell you that attendance is usually a year behind. Mm -hmm. um, you look at the 2011 season, right? SC, that was the season that you know you look back and feel fond of SC, right? Well, their their numbers they weren't selling out a bunch of games. No. Um, and that's because that was a year removed from the sanctions hitting, right? Um, SC uh, becomes number one going into 2012, but like that was a response to the 2011 season. So if SC goes and makes the playoff this year or wins the Pac-12 championship, I think you're going to see the big bump next year. Um, absolutely. Um, still, there's there's just the competitiveness in me that's like, well, just sell out the thing they aren't damn it. yeah but yeah. no i i get it i get what shane's saying and and i get the uh frustrations and a lot of that stuff and it, it's it's difficult with with parking and, and all of that um so much of it now is you're, you're better off taking public transportation if you can but that doesn't work for everybody doesn't work for everyone's situation. public transportation is hard if you intend to tailgate uh yeah it's it's hard it's it's to... hard if you have a big group mm -hmm. uh, it's hard if you are if you aren't close to where the it's one of the park and ride thing, it's is, hard. If you know? Yeah. Yeah. If you're in the Valley and, and yeah, you can get down to USC, but it involves like, right. Like right now, if we wanted to take the take public transport, we'd have to get on the orange line, bus line to the red line, transfer to the red line, transfer to the blue to the extra yeah. line transfer. It's, it would just, it, and it insane. takes two hours to do it. So like, yeah, I, I depends can where you're coming from. For yeah. sure. Uh, let's go to, um, our questions here over on the old YouTubes. Uh, Cameron says, what are your thoughts on the losses to Oregon and the other LA school? Um, I called it on, on Friday. I, I said that Arizona would be a problem matchup for U UCLA in the same way that Arizona was a problem matchup for USC. The difference is that uh, USC saw it out and their offense scored the points that they needed to score and UCLA didn't. And I think that's um, the thing where, you know, talking about this matchup, we're going to talk a lot more about this matchup with UCLA. But to me, it was really interesting that UCLA only scored 28 points in this game. Like, 
UCLA's offense against that Arizona defense should have done to them what USC did with the 45 points. Um, that is the difference between those two games. And USC did that on the road too. So to me, it just makes USC's win over Arizona that much more impressive because of what Arizona was able to do to UCLA. Yeah. I think Oregon, um, that was just a dogfight with Washington. It did not help that Bo Nix got injured. It did not help that Dan Lanning went for a fourth down with a backup quarterback in the game because the analytics, I don't, I, I get it, but I, I also disagree. So yeah, that was just them um, not making plays and, and big ups to Kalen DeBoer, who is doing really good things at Washington that have sort of flown under the radar all season. Uh, still got a long way to go, obviously, because he can't be losing to UCLA the way that Washington lost to UCLA, but Kalen DeBoer is a good coach and I, and I expect big things from him from Washington. Yeah. Um, I, I think you pretty much summed up all of that. I think that UCLA looked like they were looking ahead in a lot of aspects. Um, they were, they're a better team than they looked like on, on Saturday. Uh, Delara was great. And we, we saw him have those flashes against SC too. Um, but UCLA should have been able to outscore them um, nonetheless. And they couldn't do that. Uh, Josh says, do you, uh, you enjoy the chalkboard material from DTR as much as I am right now? Uh, if you missed this, uh, DTR said that uh, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but Ben Bolts from the LA Times tweeted that uh, he wants to put 60 back up on, on SC. Of course, Bruins did score 60 last year against the four and eight uh, fired Clay Helton team. Um, I look at, I'm one of two minds of this. One, if you're DTR and you did score the 60 points last year, you sort of have a right to be able to talk a little shit at the same time. Coming off of an Arizona loss, probably not the right time to say anything. Like, I, I get it that he can still, you know, he still has bragging rights from last year, but, and he absolutely torched SC and all the credit for him for doing that. Um, and all the bragging rights and all that stuff at the same point, like read the room of the landscape of everything, giving SC more ammunition uh, mentally and emotionally to come in with the chip on their shoulder. I don't know. It, it's to me, a lot of, a lot of these things are just, it can always age poorly and you, you don't want it to age poorly, but certainly we all know deep down inside if there's anyone who could score 60 points on this team, it's, it's UCLA. Yeah. Two things can be true. DTR can yeah. be perfectly within his rights to, to want to put 60 up on USC. He should want to, he should want to put up 70, 80, 90, 100, whatever. Yeah. But also true is that DTR should not be saying that to the media at all. Don't, right. don't give you, don't give the opponent anything. And there's been a sort of a discussion on my Twitter about, you know, this is bulletin board material. USC shouldn't need bulletin board material to get, to get up for this UCLA game. And, and I just say like, the, yeah, you're, there, are, there are different kinds of motivation. Yes. You yeah. should be motivated by, um, you should be motivated by the idea of uh, the pactal title opportunity, the rivalry, all of that kind of stuff. But that doesn't mean you couldn't also use a little extra juice. If you're USC's defense 
seeing that quote on your locker room wall every day saying like this dude thinks he's going to put up 60 like this yeah. th this dude thinks he's going to put up 60 like there's something to that uh that um that yeah, that that is that is there does matter and we've seen this a million times over with sports that even the littlest comment can can set a team off well look at clemson and look at all those times that dabo sweeney is as taking any little thing any little thing to have the persecution complex to say that you know everyone's against us um and use that as motivation uh it's annoying it's frustrating i find that i i think in a lot of ways coaches and football teams can look sort of you know thin-skinned at, at things that that can motivate them at the same time you're looking for any little advantage you can. Of course, you're going to wring the life out of any little, any little anything that can give you a little extra oomph. Uh, I go back to 2013. Um, we were doing uh, this this podcast and doing RainedShore.com early on in our days of of doing it of doing all of that, right? And stupid me goes to. Uh, conquest, uh, of course, the the rally at at um, the McCarthy Quad mm -hmm. before before the SCUCLA game. Stupid me tweets out the 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 quotes from Ed Ogeron. Yeah, which was we're gonna let the little boys in little little brown boys into the Coliseum and lock the gates or something like that. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, and. UCLA proceeds to kick SC's ass on Saturday. And then all of them start telling the media about how, well, that's what he, he kept calling us little boys and they're going to lock the gates on us and all this stuff. And like, I don't know if it was just my tweets that our tweets going out that went viral, which they sort of did at the time, but like a thing like that in a rally shouldn't motivate you. No, but it does because that, right that's how the me mechanics of a, an athlete works, the right? right? Like the right any coach, little thing. The right coach will drop that nugget in the right way. Yeah. And it will be used. So yeah. um, before we move to any other of the other questions, I do want to point out that Ben Bolch from uh, from the LA Times tweeted out uh, a clarification from the Pac-12. So this is direct from the Pac-12 on the, uh, the scenarios, mm -hmm. which doesn't really tell us that much, but it does clarify just basics. Um, USC clinches a spot with a win in the Pac-12 title game. UCLA and Washington are eliminated with a loss this week, and no team with three conference losses will be able to make the conference championship game. Yeah, I, But I, I do also want to point out, he, he tweeted as well, forgot to add that beyond this, it's every team and person trying to make sense <laughs> of the tiebreakers for themselves. So it's not just us. Yes. Um, that's a lot to, to, to go after. But yeah, it... it Makes sense, but I think all of that, um, what we know, but there's so much that the so much murkiness that it does add some clarity for sure. Yeah. Um, let's go to a question we got from um, Rambo Murdy that says, How much do you rely on the running game against UCLA versus throwing the ball? UCLA's pass defense is not good. So I think that your focus has to be on getting the pass going but you also there does need to be balance there does need to be a sense of being willing to run the ball 
And I would hope that not having Travis Dye doesn't deter USC from running the ball uh, because Austin Jones is a good running back because Rolly Brown and Darwin Barlow are capable. Um, we talked, though, about how it would be nice to see the running backs a little bit more involved in the passing game as an alternative to what they would do with Travis Dye, where they'd have to keep him back as a blocker. Mm-hmm. So maybe it sort of changes the way that the passing game um, expresses itself in this game. But I think that you do need to be aggressive in the passing game while also keeping UCLA honest by running the ball when the opportunity strikes. Yeah, and I think um, in, in the chat, Malcolm pointed out that UCLA's two two losses were games in which uh, they could not defend the pass. Yeah. Um, against Oregon, um, the Ducks, uh, Bo Nix, 22 of 28, uh, 283 yards. 283 yards isn't crazy, but five touchdowns, no picks, a passer rating of 222.4. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you can't win that way if, if UCLA's defense. Well, in UCLA's defense, the the quarterbacks who beat UCLA's defense are in the mold of Caleb Williams. Yes. In fact, they are lesser than Caleb Williams. Bo Nix and Jaden Delora were both capable of extending plays with their legs and also have the arms to do damage uh, downfield. So, yes, Caleb. Uh, Bo Nix completed 78.6% of his passes. Delara 79.3. Neither of them threw a pick. Um, Both of them. Uh, 222 was the passer rating for for Knicks, so 192.4 for Delara. Uh, for Delara. So, yeah, they, there is a world in which SC can absolutely throw the ball up and down the field, which makes you feel even better about SC getting Jordan Addison back. Um, we'll see what happens with, with, with Max. Uh, sorry, Mario Williams. There's too many M.A. Williams yeah. <laughs> on this team. So, um, yeah, we, we, we'll see how that goes going forward. Um, Josh says, do we have to talk about the importance to make sure that we not have Pac-12 refs officiating this game's, uh, this weekend's game? Uh, yeah, the Pac-12 refs will be there. I've got bad for, bad news for you, Josh. <laughs> yes, uh, they will be there. Um, I'm not, Notre Dame game, is, I'm guessing it's going to be ACC refs. Uh, it's usually the road team that brings them. I would imagine that Notre Dame would bring ACC refs, but we'll see. Uh, and then the bowl game wherever that is will be whoever it ends up being eric says do we know if each team is wearing home jerseys for this game absolutely that's uh, a tradition that's that's the bit has been the case at the rose bowl since 2008 was the first time uh that that was uh, a tradition um rick Neuheisel's lasting impact by the way uh in the rivalries bringing back the color on color mm-hmm. big shout out to uh to rick there uh, Eric says, is there any way that Lincoln Riley uses the play calling he did when Miller Moss was running the offense as our initial script of plays to start the game? Uh, Probably not. No. Um, no. I, I, think, well, I think the simple answer is no. I think that Miller Moss and Caleb Williams, Miller Moss's offense that we saw there was a we're running out the clock and yeah. executing some plays kind of offense. I don't want to see USC be that simple. In fact, in the, in the scripted plays against UCLA. Yeah. I, I, I think with, with Caleb, you don't want him forcing things um, because he has the ability to force that um, maybe he could be prone to forcing, but again, 32 touchdowns, two interceptions, he can do whatever he wants at this point at the same time. So um, 
yeah, we'll we'll see what happens when uh, when that all comes to be early in the game on Saturday. Tim says, so that two point conversion was that analytics to go up by three touchdowns and a field goal? Was that to give Chip Kelly extra tape to study? Either way, why put a fake on tape tape against a bad team? You see, you see teams do this all the time because yeah. when else are you going to do it? Because yeah, you do want to give the opposing team something to think about. Um, and, uh, yeah, you sort of proof of concept it. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of times it happens in the week before a rivalry game that you get mm-hmm. the little wrinkle in there. I don't know if this wrinkle is actually going to matter. No. Um, I don't know that I certainly would have, wouldn't have gone for the, for the fake there. I probably would have gone done that maybe in the second quarter or something. Um, but yeah, I don't think it was analytics to go up three TDs in a, in a field goal. No. If you're Lincoln Riley in that situation, you're feeling so good about SC's chances that you're probably not worried about those things. Um, but probably a why not? Wouldn't it be cool if? Yeah. It's not overthinking it, so it wouldn't be cool if. Uh, Reverend Murray says, any words on what happens if the UC regents don't let UCLA go to the Big Ten? No, I... I still would be shocked. I I just cannot even fathom it. Like I could just be blindsided by it. I just cannot fathom that they will do that. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think they put a world cup in guitar, but yeah, here we are. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Who knows? Uh, And and if that happens, I I still think the most likely scenario is that Stanford, Oregon or Washington gets a phone call. Yeah. Um, Josh says, uh, is Oregon minus Bo Nix better than a rematch uh, with Utah? If Oregon minus Bo Nix is in the Pac-12 championship game, then it didn't matter who, like, and that means that they're getting the same production out of Thompson. Yeah, because in order to beat Utah and Oregon State, you can't do it with bad quarterback play. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I think facing Thompson is better than Nix just because he's a more raw talent, and and Nix has been playing at such a high level, but I don't know that it... uh, it makes them like considerably less difficult to, to beat. Yeah. Eric says, whether it's a good or bad team on paper, I'm always reminded that we get the best from every team that we face. Beating SC is, will always be a season highlight. What are your thoughts? hundred percent. And I, I tweeted out on Saturday night that do not for one second think that UCLA losing to Arizona means that that means that they're any less dangerous on Saturday night. If anything, the ruins are more dangerous because you could rest on your own laurels there. And SC always gets people's best game hundred percent. Like, like Eric said, and I know I'm saying hundred percent a million times. And now I'm self-conscious every time I say it hundred percent. USC will never be Sorry, get 110% of people's efforts. USC will never be in the position that Arizona was facing UCLA. That is a good thing because that means that USC as a program has higher aspirations and should always be taken seriously. Yeah. That also means that things are are tougher on a week to week basis for USC. But if USC wants to achieve the things that everyone wants USC to achieve, they need to be capable of withstanding those challenges and taking everyone's best shot because the teams that win national titles can withstand that. Yes. Yes. 100%. 100%. Damn it, I did it again. All right, Eric says, outside of sending out tweets during the game that speak to either good or bad, 
uh, does your TV get the business worse? Uh, I know I have the TV an earful during that first quarter. Oh, the room gets an earful. Michael can attest to that. Yeah, I I, I think that uh, at least is very um, interactive <laughs> with with a with a football game for sure, hundred uh, percent. Have you ever seen? Remember the Titans. Oh, Cheryl, yes. Yeah. Just close your eyes and picture me, and and that's uh, that's that's who I am. That's not a hold. Yeah, that's you. Are you blind? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Eric says, "Is there any way that Lincoln Riley uh, uses the Miller?" Mo- oh, we already got to that one. Yep. Um, let's go to Jack and says, "How big an advantage is it that SC has an extra day to prepare for UCLA this week?" I think it's an advantage. Lincoln Riley and the staff gets an extra day to evaluate and to implement a game plan. And I, I think it's an advantage. I think it's an, yeah, it's an advantage when it comes to game planning. I don't think it's an advantage until like terms of body rest and stuff like that. Like it's one not, extra day is probably not, yeah, it's, it's not, not, not a, an advantage. It's not a disadvantage. I don't think it's an, much of an advantage as you would hope it would be, but it certainly doesn't help. And if anything else, if you aren't using that to prepare extra, if you're just using it to take an extra day off, I think even the day off helps. Yeah. No matter what you're doing. Uh, so so that certainly helps there. Uh, Malcolm early on said, um, I don't think we should focus on trying to pressure DTR. He kicks our ass when he leaves the pocket. We overrun mobile quarterbacks consistently when we try to rush them. Yeah, that's, that- the, that's the problem of any mobile quarterback, especially one as quick as Dorian Thompson-Robinson. This is my number one key to beating DTR is keep him in front of you at all times. Keep him in front of you at all times. It is less important to get him down for a sack than to make sure he does not escape from your, your attempts to sack him. Yeah. Just keep him and treat him like you, like, like your soccer players who are just trying to, you know corral a, a a ball carrier like that's my that would be my um advantage yeah uh your your favorite five head says uh did riley run die ragged haven't seen jones or barlow all year uh no travis die is averaging uh 14 and a half carries per game yeah he was not run ragged no, that, I, I, I think Jones lost playing time because he no blocky, no Rocky. Yes. And Barlow has been riding the bench the whole time. So clearly he's just not earned the, 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 uh, the trust from the coaching staff. So I, I don't think this was a, a die was overused situation at all. Yeah. Uh, last question. Mark says, can the Rose Bowl be considered a home game still or those long days long gone? I think it should be. Absolutely. I it's certainly not a road game. Yeah. I am excited. Uh we are going to be over uh on the What's Bruin show. Uh we're going over there Tuesday night. Uh that episode will probably be live Wednesday if you go listen to the What's Bruin show if you want to this week. We'll be over there talking about stuff. Uh and we are going to have Jake as part of our Wednesday show. It'll be one of two ways, and this will be dependent on how we work this out. I don't know. Either 
we're going to have him in here on a on video for like a 15 minute segment to, and whatnot and bring him during our live show or we will record something with him tomorrow and then plug it in as a segment in the middle of the of the preview episode but it would only be available for those of you listening on apple Podcasts because uh technology we're, fig- we're figuring it out yeah so we'll, we'll figure it out but either way uh there will be some jake uh on miniature radio this week uh we'll let you know how it ultimately comes to be we're excited it's going to be a big week also we have to tell you at some point what the schedule is going to be like for the next two weeks because we're going out of town next week uh so things are going to be a little crazy we're going to try to stick to the normal schedule but there might be some deviation so keep that in mind um that's going to wrap it up and we will be back wednesday so until then um be sure to like us and subscribe to us on, on youtube and all of that and uh do what you need to do yeah and prayers up for the university of virginia family um unimaginable things going on yes absolutely so now we have to do that awkward thing where we uh, go from a sad story to saying goodbye to signing off. So, till then, we will see. See ya. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.